Welcome to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast, bringing you the latest updates from the world of sports, gambling, and pop culture. Because you can't have a show without hot takes or a Tiger King meme these days. Know what I'm saying? Now, with over 200 episodes and ready to get after it again, here's your host, Dwayne Callender. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. On this Sunday afternoon, it is the end of the Premier League season, and what a year we had. We have a new Premier League champion, but a familiar one, in Manchester City. Not the record-setting pace of years past, but 86 points is still quite a uh, significant uh achievement in of itself along with a couple of uh, trophies to go along with it and city also has the chance to uh win uh champions league uh against chelsea uh, coming up uh next week uh so uh, still plenty on the to-do list for manchester city uh with uh yet another title for pep guardiola and his men um but uh the real uh a bit of drama today uh, came down to how the top four uh, would actually shape up. Uh, coming into the day, uh, Liverpool needed to win, uh, you know, and basically uh, Liverpool needed uh, uh, a win against uh, Crystal Palace, uh, but uh, also it was going to come down to uh, what uh, might happen, but because if Liverpool won, they were in Chelsea needed uh, a win or a Leicester city loss uh, to get in. But you know, if uh, Liverpool slipped up in any uh, way, Leicester city uh, was right there to take advantage of it because uh, Liverpool technically uh, coming into this was in fourth place uh, due to goal differential being in their favor over Leicester City. Chelsea sat in third place uh, as they uh, came into the day facing uh, Aston Villa. And we had uh, quite a bit of drama because we had Leicester City go up uh, twice on uh, Tottenham. And, you know, Leicester. Up to one, 30 minutes to go in the game. They're in the catbird seat to actually get into Champions League. You know, coming into the day, Leicester had been in a Champions League qualification spot over the past two years for a total of 567 days, I believe, uh, if I have my uh, figures correct. Uh, but, you know, well over 500 days and had not been able to qualify. So again, the, I, I look at this as the pinnacle of Brendan Rogers's career. Uh, you know, people talk about his work with Liverpool and their subsequent bottle job, uh, imploding down the stretch of trying to win their first premier league title. Of course, this was before Jurgen Klopp came on board. Uh, Gerard's uh, slip against Crystal Palace. Uh, you know, everyone always talks about. Uh, I mean, not 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 uh, Crystal Palace against Chelsea, but it, you know, it, 
the way Liverpool imploded under Brendan Rodgers was the same thing I was seeing out of this Leicester City group. And last year, people blamed it on COVID, and I didn't think it was COVID-related because I thought their form was slipping even before the pandemic occurred and Project Restart. Leicester, for whatever reason, was playing tight in big games. And uh, sure enough, uh, 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 penultimate game uh, against Chelsea, all Leicester needed to do was just get a draw. If you get a draw, you're virtually guaranteed a top four finish, regardless of what happens. The only way Chelsea leaps you, and the only way you keep Liverpool involved, is by losing. And they lost. You know, they lost a 2-1 a, a to game to Chelsea. Uh, they lost a game that was just inexcusable against Newcastle earlier in the month. Uh, you know, at home, you can't lose that game to Newcastle. They they did actually pull off the win against United, so people thought they righted the ship. But I'm telling you, this Leicester City team, for whatever reason, Brendan Rodgers has his guys tight in the biggest moments, and I don't, I can't put my finger on it because sure enough, they're up two to one after uh, Jamie Vardy drew a couple of penalty kicks, and. Spurs rally off three straight goals to knock off Leicester, put Spurs back into uh, European competition because Spurs were in danger of losing out on uh, any European competition uh, this year. Inexplicably, uh, Arsenal was in position of uh, taking over seventh place despite of how poorly Arsenal have been all season long. I'll get to that in a moment, but you know Spurs managed to come back, and in the in their biggest game of the year, Leicester City had nothing in response uh, in that second half. They were extremely tight. Once they got behind, they were trying to chase the game, and Spurs hit them on the counterattack. Gareth Bale punished them, but realistically, it, you know Leicester did not have any sense of composure. Uh, that you would be looking for out of these, some of these teams. I'm sorry. It just, it was very noticeable, the lack of discipline in a tight moment. And it, it, it cost them ch- a Champions League yet again. But I can't say that it's, uh, it's a hard uh, break for Leicester City because they, they knew what they needed to do this month and they didn't do it. You know, you can have all the time in the top four as you want, but like you have to finish it, close out your season. I mean, teams usually play their best towards the end of the year. And which is why you can't drop those games to the uh, new castles of the world. Uh, you are a better squad and you know, Lester just for whatever reason, uh, came out tight and it just, it has snowballed from there. So Lester lost which guaranteed a a Champions League spot for Chelsea. But Chelsea, meanwhile, was having one of their worst games of the year against Aston Villa. Again, their biggest game of the year, all you got to do is win, and they were just poor against Villa. Uh, Villa outplayed them pretty much the entirety of the game. Uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, the captain for Chelsea, got sent off with a red card as well. It was an ugly day for Chelsea, but they do backdoor their way into... 
Champions League qualification by finishing in fourth. Uh, you know, Liverpool, they were done. I mean, like we pretty, pretty much everyone and their mother had written off Liverpool uh, and their chances of making top four uh, off a while ago. But Liverpool ran the table, uh, racked up all the wins they needed to, and by running the table, they were able to catch up to these guys at the top who were faltering throughout the month of May. Uh, so it's a testament to Liverpool and their tenacity and willingness to keep scrapping despite all the injuries that they've had that compromised their uh, championship defending season. Uh, you know, yes, I know Liverpool needs a refresh in that squad, but the backbone of that team. You could still see uh, vestiges of it in how they played this past month when everything was on the line. You know, they put in very solid team efforts and got uh, and got wins. I mean, you know, everyone talks about that win against West Brom uh, where Allison pulls off the header out of the last minute. But, you know, Liverpool was on the front foot. The in that in that last 15 minutes like that was a deserved goal liverpool worked hard to win that game uh even though uh west brom uh you know doesn't have their talent level west brom played a very good game against liverpool that day and liverpool still managed to find a way to get through and that's what leicester couldn't do they couldn't see it through when things didn't go their way down the stretch so as it stands with the uh, final standings, uh, you got Manchester City at 86 points. Manchester United, you know, this is one of the worst United teams I've seen ever finish in second place. <laughs> and I, I say that point blank because United lost 11 games, yet were trailing in almost 17 of their 38 17 of their 38 games i mean you almost trailed in half your games and you had to keep coming back uh in those so a lot of those victories that united had uh there were over a dozen games where they were trailing in the game at some point like this united team very easily could have been out of the top six altogether they just found ways of winning but I don't necessarily equate that with being a good team so much as it's just how many games I've seen uh, these Premier League teams throw uh, in the second halves of games. It, you know, yeah, you could say United uh, showed character, but, you know, I I really do question how United is going to look next year because... You know, Bruno Fernandez played at such a high level this year that I cannot see him being able to replicate that same effort over the next two years. Like, he's been phenomenal to start his Manchester United career, but it's just the amount that's being asked of him. I think there's a very high risk of burnout coming for him next year. Uh, I, I would be very dubious. It's, it's the reason why I think Liverpool needs a refresh of their top, uh, their front three. I think United might be in a position where they need to actually make some acquisitions in the offseason. And with the whole debacle of the Super League and Ed Woodward's stepping down, being the fall guy for it, uh, there's a lot of 
cleanup work United's going to have to do next year. Even though they finished in second with 74 points, there's a lot, lot of work, I believe, needs to be done to kind of overhaul that roster. In third place, uh, we have the aforementioned Liverpool. Uh, You know, their defense, I mean, they ended up with 69 points, but they were dead in the water for uh, the pretty much January on uh, with uh, the injury to Virgil van Dyke, which was literally the only notable contribution Everton had on the entire Premier League season, it seems. Uh, we'll get to Everton in a moment uh, with Jordan Pickford with that dirty challenge on Van Dyke's knee, blowing it out and never even getting carded for it. But, uh, you know, it, it, Liverpool never recovered from that injury. They had other injuries to the back line as well, but uh, it, it, Van Dyke w- was far and away the biggest change to this Premier League campaign altogether because City hadn't gotten into gear yet. Liverpool was rolling. It looked as though Liverpool was going to crush the league again and repeat. And it, the league, uh, I mean, the campaign just flipped on a dime with that injury. Liverpool cannot uh, figure out the back line. Trent Alexander-Arnold got exposed uh, for his defensive liabilities. It, it just turned everything on its head. And Liverpool was were never the same, uh, to be perfectly honest, after uh that injury and you know the fact that they even clawed their way back to third is an accomplishment in of itself because realistically they they were listless for uh wide swaths of the season post uh Virgil van Dyke going out uh uh long term. Uh Chelsea ended up in fourth. You know, I had picked them to make top four this year uh they had to fire frank lampard as manager to do so but their talent level was enough to actually get there i I just felt uh overall that you know 67 points is still a disappointment in my opinion for this squad i i think they're capable of more it's just the inconsistencies in, in that squad uh it's it's really baffling at times. Uh, some of the losses Chelsea had this year, uh, you know, with nine losses and 10 draw, like they, they really could have made a run at this title to, to be honest before city got, uh, got it in gear, uh, you know, and same could be said for Spurs. Uh, but Mourinho being Mourinho would uh, see to it that that wouldn't happen. But, uh, Chelsea, you know, and that's part of the reason why Lampard got canned, the lack of consistency. Uh, and yes, it's a younger squad that they were dealing with, but not younger than some of the other uh, groups that, around the league. So that's part of the reason why Lampard had to go. Uh, but uh, interesting to see how Chelsea integrates the roster with a full year under Tuchel. Uh, you know, I can't see Roman firing Tuchel after... He got him uh, a guaranteed uh, spot in Champions League. Uh, and still, with the possibility of winning Roman's favorite title, uh, the Champions League uh, title against Manchester City next week, uh, you know, I, I can't see Roman firing Tuchel. So uh, I think it's his job to hold on to 
through next year and kind of go from there. But uh, the future is bright for Chelsea. They've got enough young players uh, developing. They're going to be a force to be reckoned with uh, for uh, some time now. Fifth, Leicester City. You know, I already talked about this. Uh, Brendan Rodgers just has this very bad knack of getting his teams too wound up tight and just underperforming down the stretch. Uh, you know, Jamie Vardy at some point is going to slow down in terms of being an elite scorer in the Premier League. I don't know what Leicester City looks like once that happens because James Madison, while a nice player, I don't think he can carry a team on his own. Uh, Leicester, I think they're going to need to make some purchases in the offseason if they want to keep themselves relevant in the top half of the table. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, Overall, uh, it's not a. It's not because I don't want to say it's a failure of a season. It's a disappointment of a season because they're capable of more, and they showed it for a vast majority of the year. But when it mattered most, they regressed again, and that's the that's what makes it so disappointing. Is that you know. I don't see the level of growth in Brandon Rogers' teams that you would expect to have for a championship a contending uh, team. So uh, interesting to see where Lester goes from here. In sixth spot, and I gotta I gotta eat some crow on this one. Uh, West Ham United at sixty five points. I'll be perfectly blunt. I thought even with West Ham in the top four to start the year that West Ham would be about 10 spots below here with, under David Moyes. Uh, you know, West Ham has always struck me as one of these teams that, you know, much like Crystal Palace, they know as soon as they are safe from relegation, they phone it in and then just proceed with their gradual decline back to mediocrity. And, you know, although that happened to Southampton, uh, because I didn't think Southampton was that good, uh, West Ham just kind of kept on rolling. Uh, you know, yes, the acquisition of Jesse Lingard uh, did help on loan from Manchester United uh, from an offensive standpoint, but West Ham really was uh, pretty good defensively. Uh, only allowed uh, 47 goals, uh, which is pretty good. Uh, you know, all things considered, uh, in the Premier League, uh, you know, most teams are giving up mid fifties uh, and uh, you know, 60 goals. Uh, you know, <laughs> you look at, you look at uh, crystal palace and Newcastle. I mean, uh, for teams that got results uh, better than where they probably should have finished, but uh, West Ham. Yeah, they, they, they actually deserve the, uh, their finish. Uh, so they're going into European competition next year in Europa league. Um, you know, along with uh, Leicester and West Ham fully earned that, that spot. I got to give David Moyes credit. Uh, you know, the team scored 62 goals, 47 allowed, you know, uh, pretty clean overall, uh, complete season. Uh, you know, West Ham should feel proud of what the work they did. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily have that young of a roster, but the veterans that they do have 
they did their job. Uh, you know, not much else to say. Like, I, I have to just flat out take the L here. Uh, I was wrong about West Ham. I, I thought they would pack it in, and they were far from it. They were consistently good throughout the year, uh, which is something I can't say for our seventh place team in Tottenham Hotspur, who inexplicably decided to fire Mauricio Pochettino mid-season to bring in Jose Mourinho. I, I mean, this was always going to end in disaster. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we talked about this last year uh, with bringing in Mourinho, and yes, it looked good early on for Tottenham under Mourinho uh, because they hi- they fired Pochettino during Project Reese, uh and they br- uh, bring in uh, Mourinho. Uh, I I just I just look at when Pochettino got sacked, and you know it didn't make any sense at the time to bring in. It really didn't make any sense to uh, to bring uh, to bring in uh, uh, Mourinho back in November of 2019. It just it never made any sense. Now, Pochettino has been absolutely miserable at PSG, and you know if you had to deal with coaching Neymar and Angel Di Maria, you probably would be too. Uh, uh, dealing with some of those head cases over at Paris St. Germain uh, over in League One and everything that's been going on uh, (laughs) in there where PSG's not even going to (laughs) win, not even going to win their league in addition to flaming out of Champions League. Um, You know, it's just, uh, it's just been a rough go of things for Spurs. Uh, Mourinho, true to form, pissed off everyone. Uh, The players were miserable. Spurs literally were at top of the table in, when was that? Jeez, I want to say late November, early December, they were top of the table. And it's been, the wheels came off shortly thereafter with Mourinho uh, burning every bridge at Spurs, alienating players and staff. Uh, You know, obviously Mourinho got fired. Uh, with the announcement of the Super League at the, what we thought at the time, it looked like Spurs thought they had the cash to just pay off Mourinho and send him on his way. But, you know, the long term damage has been done. You know, a lot of burnt bridges. Uh, Harry Kane was openly discussing leaving Spurs months ago. You know, the fact that it's come up now in the final weekend of the season that he, he's going to leave at the end of the season. It should surprise no one, but Kane was talking about leaving months ago, and people should have been paying attention to it. The Spurs did nothing to assuage his concerns about the club moving forward. They still haven't won any, any club trophies. They were still looking listless as to the next steps to get to that next level of challenging for a title. You know, the closest they ever came was five years ago trying to chase down Leicester and failing to do so. That was as close as Spurs ever came. They have not been nearly as close since that time. And, you know, they're going backwards. And literally, Spurs are in the position of certifying 
the preeminent favorite to win the league next next year because the suitors for Harry Kane are endless. But you know, at the top of the list, you got Chelsea and Manchester United, uh, along with Man Man City. They're all vying for Harry Kane to be uh, their striker to sell a bunch of uh, merchandise, but also to win trophies. And that's what Kane is looking to do. Spurs just, you know, there's just not much else there. And, you know, there's only so much you can say about it is that Spurs did this to themselves by antagonizing their best player. And there's not, nothing they can do about it at this point other than try to get as high a price as they possibly can and then hope they can rebuild that squad because, you know, as it stands, uh, you know, Deli Alley has fallen off uh, because of uh, Mourinho not liking him. But, like, you got to rebuild a lot of relationships uh, with guys who aren't playing. The Gareth Bale experiment didn't uh, work out at all. And Bale's already looking to bounce. You know, Spurs have a lot of work on their hands trying to rebuild confidence in some of these players. And they're trusting the club because, you know, Mourinho just torched all of that. Um, speaking of disasters, we got Arsenal in eighth, uh, missing out on European competition by points. So uh, Tottenham, by virtue of the win, finishes with 62 points. Arsenal just missing out on European competition at 61. Listen, uh, Arsenal had no business even contending for uh, European football next year. They scored one of the lowest totals you'll ever see for an Arsenal team over a full season, they scored a total of 55 goals, which is far and away the least amount of goals in the top half uh, by a considerable margin with the exception of uh, basically you got uh, Everton at 47, Arsenal had 55, Chelsea had 58. Chelsea struggled because of strikers, not having enough... uh, Quality, quality and consistent strikers. Arsenal's problem is they have a bunch of strikers that they can't get the ball to because their midfield's terrible, their back line is a mess, and the only way Arsenal knows how to keep balls from the, going in the back of the net is to commit full force to have every single player play defense at the expense of their offense. And, uh, you know, Arsenal had mixed results at best because, you know, Yes, they did allow fewer goals, but man, it's just to to give up that 39 goals allowed, they had to compromise so much of their offensive flow that th- th- there was a reason why Arsenal was called Drawsenal, uh during most of the campaign. Yes, they won uh, throughout the month of May, but the damage was already done to Arsenal season. You know, they... You know, their only chance of getting into European football was deemed to be through winning Europa. And then they settled uh, to try to backdoor this with uh, winning a couple of games uh, and having to uh, having some folks kind of change around the timing to uh, get Arsenal in there. You know, it's just one of those things where. Arsenal just dropped so many points early in this year. They were always in an uphill battle. You know, Mikel Arteta's system is not for everyone. 
And, you know, they're not necessarily stopping that many goals by playing such a, de- a defensive style. It, it, it's one of those head scratchers where, you know, if you kind of look at it and objectively, you're saying, you know, Arsenal should be better than this offensively, but, you know, you're looking at their style of play, there's not a whole lot of space to operate under uh, more often than not, and that's the thing. So when I look at Arsenal, I'd rather be in the position of the ninth place team in Leeds United at 59 points. Leeds, you know, they give away leads, they uh, concede a ton of goals, but their free-flowing style always presents a danger to these top four squads. They don't want to play leads. They're perfectly fine and comfortable playing Arsenal because they know what they're going to get, and there's not enough in the attack to actually put any sense of fear in uh, uh, the folks. So they really needed to uh, find some creativity, uh, which is what uh, Bielsa has done at Leeds, is just continuing to find folks that can make uh, the necessary runs. And, uh, you know, the the overall stance from Leeds is the balanced approach and having multiple players being able to run through a brick wall if need be to get the job done, which is the antithesis of how Arsenal play uh, and try to play this slow, methodical style. Uh, Leeds, completely different, uh, far more entertaining watch over the season than Arsenal. Um, uh, so Leeds ends up in ninth. Uh, in tenth, we got Everton, and man, it, it, this it's hard to find a memorable moment for Everton uh, this year. But other than the most pivotal being Jordan Pickford injuring Virgil, uh, Virgil Van Dyke and changing the the entire course of this season around. Uh, you know, it's just a, a bad situation, but at the same time. That was Everton's noble contribution. Uh, they had injuries in their midfield, no question about that. Uh, but to only score 47 goals, uh, Carlo Ancelotti has got to be annoyed with uh, the effort given by his team because he's picked some more offensive teams uh, to kind of match up with uh, some of the groups uh, that he was going up against. And yet still, uh, this squad just... Didn't find the goals. And it's kind of surprising because Dominic Calvert-Lewin like, had a breakout year as a striker, and yet still, Everton could only muster up 47 goals on the year. They had a negative goal differential, uh, for crying out loud. They, you know, Usually you would expect that from a lower-tier club. Like Everton is, is most certainly squarely in the mid-table and the upper uh, mid-table range. Uh, most years. So to see Everett uh, be this, I don't want to say bad, but it's just, you know, average overall describes Everton, and they have better players than that. Yes, I know there were injuries to the midfield, but Everton just feels like they massively underachieved, unlike Aston Villa, where you know their talent level isn't nearly there enough to to get there. So, you know, Everton finished at 59 points along with Leeds, but Leeds had a positive goal differential. As free-flowing as Leeds style is and how much they give up uh, goals, Leeds still only gave up four, uh, 54 goals compared to Everton's 48. So, Everton did play 
uh, a style that you know really wasn't that great defensively, and they still uh, couldn't score. It, it was very frustrating watching Everton play, to be honest. Uh, a lot of weeks, um, you know, Aston Villa eleventh, uh, somewhat surprising. I I didn't necessarily think they had enough talent to uh, make it that easy to uh, avoid a relegation battle, but they were pretty much out of relegation the entire year. They Their names really didn't come up in the conversation much. Uh, 55 points overall, but, uh, you know, they were solid throughout the year. Uh, you know, can't really say anything uh, wrong about them. They, they did what they needed to do. Uh, next up, uh, Newcastle. And Newcastle kind of benefited from a, a couple of teams below them just either having injuries or just not really putting in the effort. Um, you know, Newcastle gave up 62 goals and only scored 46. You know, that's uh, for those of you not doing the math, that's a negative 16 goal differential. And realistically, seeing Newcastle, you know, yes, they, they only had 45 points to end up in 12th, but it is bizarre to see a team with a negative 16 goal di- differential be as high as 12. It, it kind of tells you where the bottom half of the league was uh, uh, for the majority of the season. But uh, Newcastle, just there was just nothing there. Uh, you know, I, I, I really can't say uh, much else about it. It, it. You know, Newcastle just wasn't very good, to be perfectly honest. Um, and some of the offensive firepower they were getting was from uh, Joe Willock, who they got on loan from Arsenal. I don't know why Arteta shipped out Joe Willock when he looked good, but Willock at least provided goals in his last seven games to help uh, help out with scoring. But you know, it's just uh, it's just not a whole lot to to say, uh, uh, really and truly, other other than uh, you know, we'll move on. But it, it's just. Uh, just a blah team. Uh, uh, Wolves, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, uh, just a injury-plagued campaign, tons of injuries. Understandable why the performances weren't necessarily there. Overall, um, you know, only had 45 points. Usually you'd expect them to be in the mid to uh, mid uh, 50s to uh, like, uh, or around 50. Um, but, uh, you know, Wolves just could not catch a break and uh you know again only 36 goals scored and because it, they lost their striker they lost some midfield help they just did not have a whole lot of firepower to work off of uh so it, it made it very difficult for them to find the range uh and kind of go with that so uh definitely uh Try my best uh, to uh, summarize uh, Wolves. It's just uh, bad luck. And uh, Nuno leaving the club uh, was a little bit of a surprise, but there were some rumblings that he was in danger. I, I don't know how he was supposed to prevent his t- his uh, offensive uh, firepower getting injured uh, all at the same critical position. But, uh, you know, just there just seemed to be a lot of dysfunction going on with Wolves this year. Crystal Palace at 14th. I mean, this is the same old Crystal Palace story. You know, uh, compete uh, uh, commercially, 
load up on uh, uh, pre-treatment uh, uh, for certain items, but uh, you know, it's just one of those things where Crystal Palace has no ambition whatsoever. They get to a certain point threshold, and then they pack it in uh, for the rest of the year. And it was true to form again uh, this year, where you know they really only showed up if they knew it was going to be a bigger style city. Otherwise, uh, they kind of let us be. But uh, you know, it's it it was uh, very telling uh, that at a certain point you, you saw Crystal Palace being the top half of the table had enough points and then they just slowly packed it in. Um, it just is what it is. Uh, you know, Southampton, I can at least say Southampton is not very good. They were playing well above their heads. So them dropping 15th, not a surprise at all to me. Uh, it was just more of a function of, uh, being able to operate, uh, with, uh, uh, particular, uh, Particularly uh, given the fact that, uh, you know, they were getting some uh, strikers back, but uh, they're full bad uh, at battery of uh, defenses. Uh, they they had other options. Uh, it's just that uh, it, it didn't really matter anymore. Uh, so I, I just kind of look at Southampton as... Uh, they feel fortunate to be there, and they probably are fortunate to be here. Uh, Crystal Palace, it's just, you know, it is what it is. There's just no ambition with the club. Uh, in 16th place, you got Brighton Hove Al- uh, Albion. You know, another solid campaign. You know, they're not going to compete with the big boys more often than not. Uh, so they got to pick their battles where they can, and I think they do a pretty decent job of it. Uh, 40 goals scored, but the key for Brighton is... Only 46 goals allowed. Uh, that's how they stayed up. Uh, they played a very defensive style uh, and kind of made teams uh, conform to that style without being shin kickers. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, it was a good uh, uh, treatment for uh, uh, for what we got out of uh, Brighton. But, uh, you know, Outside of that, uh, it should be another struggle for them again next year to uh, cross the, six, uh, the 60 mark. But, uh, you know, outside of that, you know, they they hung on, uh, which is also what you can say about Burnley as well, who rounds out the teams that are still going to be in the Premier League uh, next season. Um, Burnley, you know, conceded 55, only scored 33. Uh, you know, took a pounding, but they stay in the Premier League. I don't see with Burnley's uh, setup how they can make a similar birth of, of uh, you know, it's very, it's very telling uh, with Burnley because. It feels as though they're slowly but surely circling the drain to go down next year. But, you know, the defense isn't there anymore. I'm 
I'm legitimately worried about Burnley being uh, one of my candidates for the bottom three because I think uh, depending on how some of it goes, because we had um, we had uh, Norwich promoted. I think we had um, we had uh, uh, we had Norwich. We had. Uh, I believe we had. Oh man, why am I blanking on the? Uh, I believe we had uh, Watford uh, also finish up in second in the championship. So I believe it should be Norwich, Watford, and uh, the winner of Brentford versus Swansea. Uh, you know. It should be interesting. Brentford would be a nice change of pace. Swansea also has a talented squad. I just think that Burnley's in danger of dropping because unlike this year, uh, next year's crop of teams getting promoted, I think they're all well and truly capable of surviving. Um, yes, we had uh, uh, we had a uh, elite uh, team. Uh, survive but Leeds was always going to survive uh, with their playing style uh you know there there was no doubt in my mind Leeds would survive and you know Leeds uh finished right around where I thought they would I thought they'd be in that uh 10 11 range uh, they finished slightly better at 9 but you know I didn't have any doubt of Leeds uh surviving um I think they're going to do quite well uh but you know, you're not going to face teams that are weak as Fulham or West Brom was uh, with these promoted squads. And uh, Sheffield United, uh, I thought, were fraudulent last year and were getting exposed. And I thought a full season of, you know, everyone knowing what the trick is uh, would do them in, which is exactly what happened. Um, but, uh, you know, should be interesting. So that takes us to the bottom three, uh, which I already mentioned Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United. None of these teams were a surprise to me. I had them all pegged in my bottom three. You know, it worked out that way. Out of the teams I could see bouncing back up immediately, Fulham played well enough in stretches that I think they can do well in the championship. Uh, West Brom. Uh, they got some work cut out for them, but I think they definitely can make it. Sheffield, I, you know, it's a gimmicky system. Maybe, maybe it can work. I just don't think so. I, I think these championship clubs are going to know what to do this go around and just get it done. So, uh, should be, should be an interesting promotion, uh, uh, group coming up depending on who takes it between Brentford and Swansea but uh, I think the promoted clubs next year are going to be far stronger than they were this year outside of uh, Leeds of course so I, I you know I think Leeds is, is an exception compared to most seasons um, but uh, yeah th- that kind of uh, sums up the Premier League uh, uh, for 2020-2021 now you know again what the what if scenario is if Virgil van Dijk never gets hurt the city closed the gap on Liverpool. And the answer to me is a resounding no. I, I don't think Liverpool lose the title this year 
if Van Dyke doesn't get hurt. I think that injury by Pickford uh, to Van Dyke's knee, I think that completely sh- uh, changed the narrative of this season. Uh, we'll never know, but I, I don't necessarily think City were down in the dumps if uh, Liverpool had won a couple more games during that stretch, I think city might've packed it in. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting what happened this year. Um, in terms of animal, like, uh, responses, but, uh, you know, should be interesting to see the off season transactions, especially with Harry Kane, because whoever lands Harry Kane is going to be the prohibitive favorite to win the premier league next year. Prohibitive favorite. I can't stress that enough. But, uh, you know, overall, still, uh, you know, if you didn't watch too much Arsenal, it was still a pretty entertaining season of football, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, we uh, we uh, are going to turn the page and see what the summer transaction window looks like. Uh, uh, we got Euro qualify, uh, uh, the Euro championships up as well. So it's going to be an interesting uh, time period to see how things pan out. But that's going to be all for now on the Premier League, and we're going to be talking some baseball and hockey uh, coming up uh, later tonight, so stay tuned, but uh, that's all for now, folks. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all other major outlets. 